You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Uh, my name is Clint, and I want to add my welcome to Mark's. We're so thankful that you're here with us. And we're going to open God's Word together this morning. And we've got a lot of ground to cover, so how about we just go ahead and dig in. We'll be in Genesis chapter 27. So if you've got your Bible with you, open it, unlock it, uh, put in your passcode, whatever it takes, and turn to Genesis chapter 27. And what we have this morning is essentially a good old-fashioned Greek tragedy. It's laid out almost just like a play with two different acts. Each act has three scenes broken right down the middle. The first three scenes you could, you could label deception. That's what we're going to see in the first three scenes. The second three scenes, the second act is distress. We have four main characters in this play. And you know who's at fault among the four? Everybody. We bat a thousand. Everyone is at fault. And you know who suffers? Everybody. Everybody suffers. Everybody makes the bed, and then everybody's got to lay in it, essentially, is what happens. And this story, the way the story ends, is with the family. Remember, this is the family that's supposed to bless all the nations of the earth. And it, it, the story ends with them separated and at war with one another. And they are at war with one another because they are driven for the, all driven for the desire for the same thing. They're fighting over the same thing, blessing. They all want to be blessed. This story, it's essentially the story of a, a super dysfunctional family fighting it out, duking it out like they're on the Jerry Springer show or something, fighting over who can get the blessing, who can be blessed. And when it's all over, here's what we're going to see. Um, even though all these people are at fault, even all, though all the humans are super dysfunctional, we're going to find out the blessing moves forward anyway. And it's all grace. It goes to the only kind of people there are. It goes to people who don't deserve it, who didn't earn it, and who don't even appreciate it when they get it. They will have to learn. Just like we have to learn, we'll spend our whole lives learning. There's only one way to be blessed. There's only one way to get blessing. And this is it. God blesses people who don't deserve it through faith in the one who does. God blesses people who don't deserve it through faith in the one who does. Let's pick it up in chapter 27. We're just going to read, kind of pick a few verses here and there. Let's start in verse 1. It says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. He answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I don't know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow. Go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so that I might eat. That my soul may bless you before I die. So in this first scene, we see some disobedience from Isaac and Esau. Isaac, no, he's getting old. Many of you probably said this week what he said. Behold, I am old. He feels it. And he says, I need to go bless my son, my oldest son, Isaac, before I die. Now, if you were here last week, that should send off some little flickers, some reminders. And you ought to ask, wait a minute. Why are we doing this? Because not once, but twice. The past two weeks, we have seen that Esau is not going to get the blessing. 
When two weeks ago we saw that Esau, he despised his blessing. It, it was of no value with him. He didn't care about it. And so he just sold it for a pot of stew. Actually, that was last week. Two weeks ago, though, before they were born, God had given an oracle. He had promised. He had said Jacob would get the blessing. Isaac knows all of this. Esau knows all of this. And yet they are moving forward with no regard for what God has promised or said what would happen. Isaac isn't building his life on the promise of God. He is, in fact, working against God. Well, how could he do that? Why would somebody do that? Well, we know. We do this all the time. Remember Esau? Remember he, he sold his birthright for a, just a single meal, and it turns out it wasn't even meat stew. It was like vegetarian substitute stew. You remember that? Turns out the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Isaac is motivated by a meal, just like Esau was. He says, cook me something tasty. And if you just cook me something tasty, I'll give you this birthright. No big deal. In fact, this phrase, delicious food, delicious food, he repeats it six times in this chapter. Delicious food. That's all I want. He's like me at the county fair with all the tents. You know, you're frying what? I'll pay that. No problem. Delicious food. I love it. And so what the text is showing us is, yeah, he's old. His eyes might be failing, but it is, it is his appetite that is blinding Isaac. It is his appetite, like Esau, that is making him forget God. You see, Isaac and Esau, we're going to see these four family members in pairs. Isaac and Esau to go together, and they are the embodiment of materialism. You know materialism. We're materialism. We, we live in materialism. It is making temporary things ultimate. It's a life built on my senses, not on faith. And so my highest desire, my greatest energies, my deepest trust goes to things I can see, taste, touch, smell, and feel. That's what's going to make me happy. That's what I can trust. And so we end up building our lives on created things more than the creator. And understand, y'all understand, we, we can go wrong here. Material things aren't bad. They are good. Delicious food is good. Can I get an amen? Yes. We love delicious food. If you want some, come to Discover Bethel. We'll have delicious food, okay? But if you take a good thing and you make it ultimate, that's a bad thing. If you take a good thing, but then you make it ultimate, that is a bad thing. And their materialism leaves them open to deception. And so the second scene, we'll just summarize, Rebecca and Jacob, they're going to hatch a plan. And actually, just Rebecca hatches the plan. This is all Rebecca's plan. She says this, here, Jacob, I'll cook a meal. Here's what I need you to do, Jacob. I need you to dress up. I need you to pretend like it's Halloween. I need you to put on a costume. I need you to pretend to be someone you are not. And then if you look, feel, smell like Esau, we can trick your father. He'll be so blinded by his appetite that he will give you the blessing. So I need, I need you to dress like someone you're not so that you can get a blessing you don't deserve. And Jacob is rightfully scared. He's terrified. He knows what he is doing is evil. He knows that what he is doing does not deserve blessing. It deserves a curse. And Rebecca says this amazing thing. It is unheard of up until now in scripture. In, in verse 13, she says this. It says, his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. And so she says, listen, I'll take the curse so that you can have the blessing. We're supposed to, the reader, original readers are supposed to read that and say, that's totally weird. I didn't know, even know that was a thing you could do. 
It's unusual. But that's how much this firstborn blessing means to Rebekah. That's how serious she is that Jacob gets this blessing. Now, we may need to pause a little bit because there's a lot going on that may seem foreign, weird, even kind of crazy to us. Why go to all this trouble for an old man to kind of say some words? What is the big deal about blessing? And we kind of don't do blessing today in our culture the same way they did. So let's explain why it was such a big deal. What's the big deal about blessing? Well, here's what a blessing is. A blessing is a proclamation. Yes, it's, it's a proclaiming what's true. And it's an empowerment. So it's a statement of what's true, but it also is an empowerment to make that thing happen. And so it's a declaration that has to be made by an authority, by the head of the household. But it's more than just stating what everyone knows. It has oomph to it. It sets some things in motion. It, it changes reality. Things are different after the blessing is given. And so we tend to think about a will. You know, that's how usually when someone dies, they leave the material things. And it helps us a little bit, but it's more than a will. You see, in Scripture, it's a blessing is spiritual just as much as it is material. And so, yes, he's passing on to his son some of their material possessions, but it is spiritual every bit as much as it is material. A blessing is a defining of a person's character and destiny. It defines who they are. It is, it is naming, observing, affirming what is ultimately true about a person. This is how God has created them. This is how, what God is doing in them. And so because of that, it communicates incredible value. Notice the way he said it here. In fact, it's going to say it four times. It's going to say, the soul blesses the soul, you see. So it's, it's more than a legal document. A legal document can't do this. It takes a soul to bless and name what is true about another soul. You also have to understand the blessing wasn't for everyone. He couldn't just go around and say nice things about everybody that he met and everything he ever knew. It was reserved for a specific, special person, the firstborn. The firstborn got the blessing, and the firstborn was totally unique. He was the most powerful, the most privileged person. And that father knew, even before he gave the blessing, his, the whole, firstborn's whole life, that father knew he was going to be the new head of the family. And so for his whole life, you know, he was the apple of the father's eye. He was doted on. He was loved. He was cherished. He got the most attention from the father. So it only went to the firstborn, and it could only be given by the current head of the household, the current most privileged and powerful person. So to be blessed in the ancient Near East is to have someone who is uniquely valuable say to you, you are uniquely valuable to me. That's what it is. It's it's to be trusted, empowered, affirmed by the most highly esteemed person you know. Now, this idea of blessing the way they used to do it, it's not formalized in our culture, but I would argue it remains embedded in our hearts. Because we know, deep down, words have power. Words have power, don't they? Especially from the people we love and we respect the most. We've all, we've all experienced, even, even just offhand comments that, that can be from years ago, decades ago, that still stick in our hearts. Sometimes it's words of affirmation and blessing. Sometimes it's words of condemnation and cursing. But 
Words from people we love and respect, they pass into us. We carry them around. They shape who we are. And we also know deep down that you cannot bless yourself. You can't bless yourself. And we try really, 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 really hard to bless ourselves, and it never works. It never works. Our culture today says, you decide who you are. Look inside yourself. You define who you are. You do you. Yet, yet, at the same time, we, we speak out of both sides of our mouth. At the same time, we'll say, you know what? Most people will say you, that I'm not truly accepted until everyone agrees with me. And so to disagree with me is to reject me. You see this? You see the hypocrisy? We're, we're adamant. We don't need other people to define us while at the same time demanding everyone agrees with us. I don't need anybody, but I need everybody is essentially what we're saying. You know, our, our culture is a group of people lying to themselves. It's almost as if we need others to affirm that what we are claiming about ourselves is actually true. See, the truth is we are desperate for a blessing that we claim we don't need. You need someone smart to tell you that you are smart. You need someone respectable to tell you that you are respectable. You need someone important to tell you that you are important. You need someone you love to tell you that you are loved. We were created for blessing. And this is what Jacob is seeking as he approaches his father to deceive him. We'll pick it up in verse 19. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up, eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it you have found, found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice. But the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were very hairy like his brother's Esau hands. So he blessed him. So it's funny, you know, Isaac first, he kind of suspects something's up, something isn't quite right. But he falls back on what he trusts, his senses, what he can feel. And his senses betray him. What he's trusted his whole life betrays him. I like the way Derek Kinder He's a great commentator on Genesis, says it. All five senses play a conspicuous part largely by their fallibility in this classic attempt to handle spiritual responsibilities by the light of nature. Ironically, even the sense of taste in which Isaac prided himself gave him the wrong answer. If you just live by your senses, men and women, they will eventually give you the wrong answer. For materialistic people who trust our senses, who follow our appetites, it will eventually betray you, it will lead to tragedy, and it will even turn you into an easy target. It's done it with Isaac, it's done it with Esau. Now notice Jacob's word. So in verse 19, he lies. But notice how he introduces himself. He doesn't just say, I'm Esau. He says, I'm Esau, you're firstborn. I'm the firstborn. I have that office. I'm the unique, the special one. I'm the apple of your eye. I'm the one who's worthy of the blessing. I want to be trusted. I want to be empowered. I want to be infirmed. I can be head of the family. That's all he's saying when he says, I'm the firstborn. I'm the one who deserves the blessing. But it gets worse. So verse 19 
is a lie. Verse 20 is blasphemy. You see who he credits with his getting all the game and having so quick? Oh, God did it. Praise God. God did it. See, if Isaac and Esau, if they're the embodiment of materialism, Rebecca and Jacob are the embodiment of blasphemy. It's later codified in the third commandment, taking the Lord's name in vain. And we all know it. We can all quote it, but it's often misunderstood. You know, we often think, take, don't take the Lord's name in vain. We think that's just about what, what you say, what comes out of your mouth when you step on the Lego or stub your toe or something. You know, don't use God's name as a cuss word. Y'all, it's so much richer than that. It is so much bigger than that. Blasphemy, taking the Lord's name in vain. Here's what it is. It is attaching God's name to conduct that is contrary to God's character. We attach his name to conduct that is contrary to his character. And so it's often used of false prophets, people who claim God said something that God never said. And so they lie, but then they attach God's name to it. It's often said of people like judges, kings, who attach God's name to their evil deeds. And so they're just doing the same thing as all, their, all those other heathen kings out there, but then they attach God's name to it. When you do evil, that's a thing. And the Bible's clear about it. That's a thing. But when you attach God's name to the evil, that's a whole other thing. And I think if we're honest, we see no shortage of this today. In the past few years, I would say there has been a bonanza of blasphemy in our world. And go out this week. As, this week, you hear people talk and people in the media and all this stuff. Pay attention. Look for it. Where do you see all manner of greed, of materialism, of meanness, of violence, lies, fear, all with Jesus' name attached to it? See, we're, we're told over and over. Old Testament and New Testament, that God's character is that he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Yet we increasingly see his name attached to conduct that is contrary to that character. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. And this is what amazes me about Rebecca. This is exactly what Rebecca is doing. Remember, it's Rebecca's plan. It's all her idea. How can this be? It is her who sought God out when, to become pregnant. And then when she was pregnant, since something going on, it was her that sought God out. And God, is the, God gave her the oracle. God gave her the promise. She received it directly from God. But here, years later, she says, you know what? I'm going to do it in my way and in, in ways that are contrary to God's character. I will use God's ends to justify my means. And listen as we move on in the story. Listen to the distress. Listen to the pain and the anguish that results. Verse 33, Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. And what we're seeing here, what the text is showing us, is the eventual tragedy of a life built on these senses instead of faith. His senses have robbed him. His delicious food in this moment is not enough to satisfy him because his family is broken. And pay close attention to what they say. Isaac says, yes, and he shall be blessed. And you might think, well, of course, yeah, Isaac, because you did it. Why are you saying again that you did it? Y'all, this is a, actually a moment 
of faith. This is the moment Isaac does a U-turn. So up until now, he'd been, he'd known the promise, he'd known the oracle, he'd known Esau, his character, and that he disqualified himself, and he had been working against God. And yet, you go to Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, and in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. And I read that, and I was like, wait a minute, did I, did I miss something here? When did he have faith? Right here. It's right in this moment. Right here, he realizes that God has given the blessing ultimately and not him. He had been working against the promise of God, and he realized that that is a completely futile exercise. And so this is where he waved the right flag. He said, I will no longer work against God. And in this moment, he has faith that God will do everything that he said he will do. And you cannot resist it. And so he does a complete U-turn, and this is why he doesn't try to take it back. This is why he doesn't try to undo it. He accepts what God is doing. And I got to be honest, guys, as much as this is a, a tragedy, I look at that, and I have to, it gives me hope because it tells me it is never too late for faith. It's never too late for faith. Isaac's in his dying days. He's made a lot of, a lot of mistakes, but at the moment he realizes, you know what? I'm wrong, and God is right. He has faith. And that's true for you too. It is never too late to stop fighting against God and to join him. Esau in verse 34, he lets out this great and bitter cry. Bless me, even me also, oh my father. And somewhere deep down, this is the cry of all of us. We need more than food. We need more than material things. We need our souls to be blessed by other souls. In the world of counseling and psychology, there's this pyramid that's known as Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And it's all about what all we need as humans. And kind of the farther down you go, the more, more common and necessary and, and base that desire is. And so at the very bottom, it's things like air, water, things you literally need to survive. And the second level, the second level is things like safety. So you need to know, I'm not going to die in the next 30 seconds. You need to be safe. You know what's right above that? I mean, the third level, right above air and safety. Acceptance. Acceptance. We cry out for acceptance. We need the people who matter most to tell us that we matter. We need blessing. And you can hear Esau's anguish that he gave it up for some food. And then we see the distress of Rebekah and Jacob. Verse 42, but the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she went and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, I know how that feels sometimes, right? There is some comfort in planning your enemy's demise. That's real life right there. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran. Here's what's interesting about Jacob and Rebekah. They gained nothing. They gained nothing, but they lost a whole lot. They are running a con for something they could have simply accepted by faith. Yes, Jacob ends up with a blessing, but he was going to get that all along. God had promised it before he was born. Then he gained nothing. But because of the way they attach God's name to conduct contrary to his character, this mother lost her son. 
So she sends him away, and she thinks it's going to be aged. Give it a few minutes. Let your brother calm down. It ends up being 20 years. And Rebecca, by that time, is dead. Rebecca never sees her son again. And Jacob, Jacob is separated from his inheritance. You know, he thought he was going to be the new head of the family. Instead, he is separated and he is outcast. It's like getting elected president and then you're exiled to Antarctica with no way to communicate. Well, what good is it? That's where he finds himself. Because they refused to build their whole lives on the promise of God, they gained nothing and they lost so much. Because they refused to trust God. Speaking of God, where is he in this story? Where's he been? You know, he, he hasn't spoken. There hasn't been any mighty miracles. His name is barely mentioned at all. And yet, he is lurking in the background of this entire text. The central tension of this story, of this tragedy, is that we all want blessing and none of us is worthy of it. But God makes it happen anyway. We all want to be firstborn, to be unique, to be favorite, and we want God to bless us, but we know we're not worthy of it. So what do we do? Well, we all do exactly what Jacob did. We dress up. We learn how to dress up. We dress as people who deserve a blessing. Deep down, we know that if we want blessing, we can't be who we really are. We're too messed up. There are things that if others knew, they would curse us, not bless us, and they'd be right in doing so. So we learn, we learn to cover up our faults, our fears, the things that would disqualify us, and we figure out what will get us a blessing, and we pretend to be that. We learn to build our brand. You hear that all over our culture today. We got to build our brand. We learn to carefully cultivate an appearance that others will bless us for. We do this at work. Learn to cover up all those insecurities and dress for success. We learn it in relationships. We find someone who's powerful, who's beautiful, who's successful, who is popular. You know what? And if I can earn their esteem, then I'll be blessed. And so we morph ourselves. We become whatever will appeal to them. We do it at church. We dress up as really, really good Christians. You know, not too many problems. Don't struggle with any of the bad sins. I know my Bible. I learn the right words to say. And then when I match other people's idea of a good person, they'll bless me. Maybe I can get that blessing. And you know, I'd be ignoring the text if I didn't point out that really, this isn't a story of an individual dressing up. It's the story of a parent teaching their child to dress up. Isaac and Rebecca are the main characters in this story. They are the ones driving all the action. And so Isaac's materialism is what led Esau to have no value for God. Rebecca's blasphemy led Jacob to live a lie and dress up for a blessing. Now, y'all, I know parenting is hard. I'm in the middle of it, and I'm no good at it. I'm sure all of you are better parents than I am, okay? And I like to thank my wife for withholding the amen just, just right then. So, yeah, the last thing I want to do is throw more burdens on something that is already hard enough. But there's a current in our culture that if we don't identify and learn to swim against men and women, it is going to take us places we don't want to go. 
And the text is warning us about this, I think. You know, parents, so many parents, myself included, so many parents are so afraid of the outside world secularizing our kids. But that's never how it works. Kids aren't getting secularized in the world. They are getting secularized at home. Think about it. Even in this story, even in the story, the whole world outside these four people is a bunch of heathens. All of them. They're surrounded by heathens. But the text doesn't blame the Canaanite school system or Pharaoh's primetime TV, does it? No. And it's this way throughout Scripture. Throughout Scripture, the threat is never the world out there. Threat is always when things like materialism and blasphemy infiltrate our hearts. And then they get past the next generation. So parents, I think what the text is telling me as a parent and you If you don't show, if we don't show with our life the priority of faith, our kids will be forever dressing themselves to try to earn a blessing they never can. I want you to think about what is it in your family you have to do? What do you have to do? Now, I know, I know everyone's busy. Ain't nobody got time for that. I know, I know, we're all busy. But what is it you say, well, we have to do this. What is it? No matter what, you will make time for. That, whatever that is, right there, that is where your kids will learn to dress up to seek a blessing. So if it's make a sports team, you will be shocked at how hard they will work and perform. They will sacrifice whatever they have to sacrifice because they've learned that that's the community that really matters. And my acceptance that I crave and I yearn for is based on my performance. And so I will be sure and perform. If it's making the grades, they will be sure and perform in that way. That grade will be their blessing. If it's four vacations a year, they will seek experience after experience after experience, and it will never be enough. If it's to be protected from certain sins, certain types of people, listen, they'll dress up by not doing that particular sin and not associating with those types of people. If it's having lots of friends, they they will learn to be the most well-liked, well-adjusted people you've ever seen. They will become experts at hiding their flaws and their faults. And none of it will ever be enough because it never works. It didn't work for us, and it's not going to work for them. You know what I find fascinating? Later on, Jacob encounters this embodiment of God, and he wrestles with God, which seems like a bad idea, but he does it. And you know what he demands from God? Bless me. Bless me. I need a blessing. And you say, hold on, hold on, Jacob. You just got a blessing. Why do you need another? Why why are you demanding that God bless you now? Because he knew he'd just been dressing up. He knew he'd been pretending. He knew deep down there has to be something more than this. And I can't help but imagine, what if Isaac and Rebecca had done it differently? You know, several times, we saw, now, Abraham is no model of perfection, I know, but we saw Abraham several times, he made a place for him and his family to worship God together. So much so that the text then says, and we're still all worshiping right in that same spot together. We have no record that Isaac and Rebecca, that their family ever worshiped together. No record. Isn't that amazing? What if Isaac and Rebecca had taught their kids to worship and trust God? What if they had worshiped together like Abraham? What if they had talked about God's promise as much as they talked about delicious food? 
What if they taught him things like, I know, I know, Esau, I know it's hunting season and you love it, but there's more important things than that. Our whole life is built on the promise of God. I know, Jacob, I know, I know you want everything now, but we can wait on the Lord and we can trust him and we can worship him while we do because our whole life is built on the promise of God. Men and women, one of the best things we can do for ourselves and we can do for our kids is to make worship the thing we have to do. We have to. Because then you are going to the only place you can actually get blessing. I told you that God was all over the background of the text, and here he is. He is the one ensuring the blessing to people who don't deserve it. You see, every human failure, every human failure in this story points us to Jesus' later success. This is amazing. I want to show you this. So Colossians 1.15 says this, talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the, the firstborn, the firstborn, not of a specific family, but of over all creation. Jesus is the firstborn. He's God's favorite. He's the receiver of privileges and honor and inheritance. He's the one who is always going to be the head of the family. That's why the, when Jesus was baptized, the voice of God said, this is my only son, my firstborn, and I love him. He is special to me. He's the special one of the family. But this firstborn over all creation becomes the curse. Remember Rebecca back in verse 13, let your curse be on me. I'll take the curse so that you can get the blessing. The text is foreshadowing. Jesus is our true Rebecca. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. See, men and women, he didn't die on the cross just as a good example to show you how to be unselfish. No, all those things you're trying to cover up because you know they deserve a curse. He took it from you. He said, I'll take that. And he became the curse for you so that you can be the firstborn. In Hebrews, it's talking about this collection of all the saints that have ever lived. Hebrews 12, 23 says this. That we come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. The picture is a whole assembly, a whole church made up of nothing but firstborns. You say, wait a minute, how can everyone be the firstborn? You can have a whole assembly of nothing but firstborns, but you can if they are all in Christ. If every single one of us here is in him, in Jesus, the real firstborn. And he has given each and every one of us the blessing as firstborn. And he says it this way. He says, you are righteous made perfect. There's this amazing scene in Revelation 7 where all the saints are around God's throne. And it tells us, the text tells us that when we are in the eternal kingdom worshiping God, you don't have to dress yourself. You don't have to dress up. You don't have to pretend to be perfect because it tells us Jesus dresses you. All the saints worshiping on the throne have been given, handed, gifted these white robes to wear. And it says those white robes are righteousness and it's not a costume. It is who they really are. They are made perfect by the blood of the lamb. Isn't that amazing? It's like my friend Eric Barton says, turns out sin is a really big deal. It is. We see in the story, sin is a really big deal, but it's no match for the grace of God. Can hold a candle to the grace of God.
So when you walk out these doors, man, there's going to be countless voices that are experts. It's saying, hey, come here for a blessing. Come here for a blessing. You got to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. Not a single one of them will be able to deliver on what they promise you. But God always delivers on his promise to bless you. Always. God blesses people who don't deserve it through faith in the one who does. He takes your curse and he gives you his first born blessing. So men and women, let's teach our kids, let's teach our own hearts to build our whole life on his promise. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.